first what you said. I don't think most founders and entrepreneurs want to be CEOs. In fact, you know, the title is even confusing. I think some are president. CEO is chief executive officer, so manager of the executive team, which is not what a lot of people want to do. I, I really think the the traction entrepreneurial operating system is a lot uh, of where the, the founder is really the visionary, and then there's an operator, you know, who handles kind of saying no to 90% of those things and, and making it better. The story you told is pretty consistent of entrepreneurs going on sabbatical or otherwise, and their and their companies being like, yeah, yeah, stay there. Like it's it's you know you're brilliant at the two or three things a year, and then you drive us nuts, you know, the the, the rest of the year. Hi there, guys. Today, we are joined all the way from Boston by Robert Glazier. He's the founder and CEO of global partner marketing agency, Acceleration Partners. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur, and really, his passion is all around helping individuals and organizations build what he calls their capacity to elevate. And in this episode, we unpack all of the aspects relating to capacity and so, so, so much more. So uh, he is the author of a book called Elevate, How to Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others. It's got like crazy five-star reviews. Highly recommend going to check out that book. Um, but under his leadership, Acceleration Partners has received numerous industry and company culture awards. So he is the real deal, uh, including Glassdoor's Employees' Choice Awards for two years in a row, Ad Age, Adage's Best Place to Work, Entrepreneur's Top Company Culture Award two years in a row, Great Place to Work, and Fortune's Best Small and Medium uh, Workplaces three years in a row. So, And that's just some of the accolades here. So uh, guys, pay careful attention to the part of the show where we talk about uh, purpose and whether you you find it or whether you create it. And he also shares a number of frameworks in this particular episode. Um, one of those is around capacity. So we're calling it the four, uh, the four pillars of the table. So we'll explain um, how to unlock capacity using these four pillars. Um, and then uh, the other framework that he shares is all around when should you get out of your business as an entrepreneur founder? Uh, that's a very, very interesting one. So lots and lots to get into as well. Also, one last thing. Um, he writes uh, an, uh, an email every Friday called Friday Forward. You can get it at FridayFWD.com. Um, and it reaches over 200,000 individuals across 60 countries. So we start the show off with that one. And we unpack how, or I should say, why that matters so much today in the context of scale. So lots and lots and lots to get into. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to a live edition of the Map Round Show. Finally, back from Durban, where there was like zero internet. <laughs> uh, so, well, welcome to the show, Robert Glazer. We're joined yet again uh, by some incredible talent just outside Boston, I believe. Robert, welcome. Thanks very much, man. Happy to happy to be here. So, uh, Robert, you are the author of a very cool book, which we're going to be getting into, called "Elevate: Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others." got some like over 500 like ridiculously better or awesome reviews much better than my book apparently <laughs> but uh but robert uh, for those of our uh, audience around the world who potentially haven't heard about you and uh, and all the rad things that you're doing um why don't you give us the elevator pitch what do we need to know Sure. Yeah, I have uh, uh, two parts to my life. Uh, the first uh, day job is I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Acceleration Partners. Uh, we are an agency that focuses on the specialty of partner and affiliate marketing, uh, and we have about 170 employees uh, around the world. Um, as we built that 
organization. Uh, and we, we've actually been remote for our entire existence. As we built that organization, we did a lot of things differently. We got noticed for our culture, our remote work, um, some of the ways in which we hired employees, transitioned employees. And I, I became I became passionate about like how we did what we did and started um, writing and uh, uh, talking about things outside of work. I actually started a little note to my team every Friday uh, that started with the name Friday Inspiration and, and it got shared outside the company. Uh, and, and now it's called Friday Forward today, it went out this morning. So 200,000 people across 60 countries have signed up for that. And that's actually what originally led me to, mm. to write the book Elevate after watching the sort of ripple effect of that simple email and understanding that, um, you know, how we had built our company and our team through this process called capacity building was very similar to the impact that uh, that note was having on people that I had never met before. So um, I still have my day job. And then at night, I do a lot of writing, <laughs> speaking, talking, Just did my first course on, on putting core values together. So really, you know, I'm, I'm driven by helping people try to, um, you know, take ideas that help people and organizations learn and grow and get better. And you also have your own podcast. I do. Yeah, the Elevate podcast. So uh, I've, I, I've rebranded everything under the same name. It makes it much easier for me to for me to follow. Cool, very cool. Uh, it's funny. Um, I'm always fascinated by the idea of doing things that don't scale in order to scale. So, like writing an email every Friday, as a case in point, and then over time. It doesn't scale on its own, but over time, it eventually gets there. And I think entrepreneurs are quite romanced about the idea of um, of scale, scale, right? So scaling up fast, building it bigger and better yeah. and as fast as possible. And there's a huge, you know, underlying tone and sentiment that's driven from media, right? Silicon Valley media, like all these startups getting all this huge you know, investment. And I was reading like literally two days ago, uh, Robert, I was reading about all the IPOs that are happening, like crazy it's, it's like 1999 what like, it's they, not gonna end well <laughs> dude it's insane it's insane yeah. like the valuations what what was the one oh, i forget airbnb, was, airbnb yeah. was one for sure but uh, but the see the thing i didn't understand was they initially said they were going to do the ipo then they pulled it then they relisted the ipo at a higher share price so it's like well how you know, I don't understand. Yeah, no matter where they market, the 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 public then wants it and pushes it almost irrespective of valuation. I, I mean, the closest thing I can remember to this is 1999, and mm. and look, Tesla, amazing company, changing the world, but up 10x in one year. Like I just, I, you know, it's, it's at some point, you know, you double and triple again, and you're the most valuable company in the world. And you know, I think Tesla's got like 100 million dollars in earnings. Like it's. It, it, hard you know when apple's got like 20 billion dollars in earnings like I, <laughs> yeah it, 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 it it's hard to line that up so i i think that look every time reality is suspended in this it, it comes back down but you made you made a really interesting point and i think uh that scale thing is is the sort of scale hack discussion is like how do i get velocity with low quality and and, and i think you know uh might have been reed hoffman or someone had talked about sort of you know exactly what you said like figuring right. out some how to make something work and then and then scale but i but i think friday forward scaled because it was quality and it added value to people's lives if i had tried to write an email to take off it never would have worked but you know 36 months in after writing that email you know there started to be a, a hockey stick and, and and that's not a process you could sort of you know hack or or do anything to and and i think we're yeah, we're looking for scale instead of quality. Ideally, you'd have you'd have both. 
Yeah, it's the same thing with podcasting as well, right? Um, you yeah. know, it rewards longevity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like you know, I should have quit like five years ago. <laughs> well, I know? saw something uh, like a huge percentage don't get past the second or third, you know, episode. It's not, it's not hard to start things. Right. And, and yeah. I think we look back and we think about these things as overnight successes. And particularly if you talk to anyone like James clear, anyone who's really made a writing mm. thing, they will tell you that it was like five years of doing it before the, you know, before the hockey stick took off. Yeah. I've read his book, atomic habits, amazing yeah. book, probably, probably, the second best business book. Well, I don't know if that's even a business book, but certainly second best book I read this year. Have you the the, the number one book for me was um, was um, Shoe Dog by Full Knight. Have you read it? I haven't read that one yet. No, but that 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 I've heard that a bunch. Yeah, I, I the problem with this year and all the kids, I I buy three books for every one I read, so I need to start closing <laughs> my, my ratio down. Good man. Well, you know, you're supporting small business. You know, in a tough yeah. economy. Well done for you, to you, Robert. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, but I mean, it, the the Nike story was fascinating for me as well. This whole idea of doing things that don't scale in order to scale. I mean, when they were 17 years old. 90% of their P&L was debt. So they still weren't making a profit after so many years. And then, they, and only when they listed it on as an IPO, that's when they, they got rid of their the debt and the balance sheet. And suddenly then that's when they became uh, profitable. But 17 years, you yeah. know, there's this whole a- adage. Um, Apple has a similar chart of how, really? how mediocre Apple was for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, the, it's such an important point I'd like to maybe unpack with you, Robert, in the sense of, you know, um, there's this whole um, adage in entrepreneurship, which it's like it takes, a, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success or it takes 15 yes. years to make a quick buck. <laughs> Um, and I think a lot of young entrepreneurs today, when they start a podcast, when they start a social media page, when they start an email list, when they st- whatever they decide to do, suddenly after like two weeks, they're going, hmm, why am I not famous? You know? <laughs> well, that's because you're, you're trained on the Instagram and in, in, in gratification, right? Of, of yeah. taking the picture and not, not feeling good about the work that you did, but looking for the social validation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know when I've written a good Friday forward, I know when it's going to make an impact. And, and, and what I hear back from people is stories or thanks or otherwise. I don't, it's not a like, it's a sort of real human. I, I, again, I think this is just, we're moving to be a more impatient world. And I think there's, there's a misperception of, you know, even Airbnbs, every story that where there's a public fable of the overnight success, you go dig into it and you find four near death moments where most Mm -hmm. people would have quit. And that's why I love the podcast, how I built this, right? I feel like he's very good at getting into that, like, right the day before it died, you know, story where, (laughs) you know, it's really easy to look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, that was awesome. But Uh, I remember the Peloton one, I mean, where he said, he said that, 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 you know, his wife, he and his wife were struggling and he told his wife that, you know, she kept wanting to go out to dinner. He said, I'll only go out to dinner if we talk about what we're going to do when Peloton goes bankrupt and whose parents we're going to live with. Like, and, and, you know, that's not what people, that's not the story that people hear or see. and, Mm. And they see the social media top 5% so that they believe it's easy. It is not easy. And, mm. and the, you need to be so resolute. You know, these people don't do it for the money, the, the billionaire. I mean, they're so resolute in their vision and Elon Musk, and they just keep going that it's far beyond anything about the money. I mean, if it was about the money, these are the guys who never sell their stock. 
the people who, you know, the, the people who sell right into the IPO and the WeWork guy, and other, these are people who don't believe in the vision or what they're doing, and it probably is about the money. Mm. Yeah, it is. I'm also reading, I've started just recently getting into all these biographies because I find it fascinating, yeah. the story, the narrative behind it. Because if you think Nike, it's like, wow, you know. You, one of the best ones you should read is called Nuts. And it's the Nuts. story of uh, Su- Southwest Airlines and Herb Kelleher, who's probably one of the best CEOs. I mean, there's no worse business to be in than Discount Airline. And Southwest built this incredible business in the U.S. that this little upstart airline that's more profitable than the entire industry just by doing things differently and better and having a real culture. Hmm. Um, it's There's no freaking Kindle version, so that's disappointing. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll find uh, a way to get you one. Yeah, man. I'll, you I, know, I'll I, take I, pictures of mine. <laughs> yeah, just do that for me, mate. That would be really great. Uh, but there's lots to get into there. I mean, I'm also reading uh, Elon Musk's uh, biography, not that he wrote it, but certainly, you know, we're going through that as well. And I think one of the, the key points here um, that I want to touch on with you is this idea of envisioning the future. Because, again, it's not about the the number in the bank account. You know, if you've been, you as well as I know that if you've been running a business for a certain amount of time, money is just there. It's like a byproduct of something. Um, but, you know, if you want to, if, as in a case in point, if, as an entrepreneur, like you're going to be tested, right? Like Nuts as an example, Southwest Airline, Elon Musk, SpaceX, Tesla, um, you know, Nike. Yeah, that, that, yeah, the existential moment. Dude, you, want, you want to hear the story about how, please. how Southwest survived the yeah, existential moment? Yeah, please, go, 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 yeah. So, because this is, this is what it really looks like, right, in reality. So, so Southwest had three planes and they they um, uh, uh, they had three planes, and you know the airline industry is very anti-competitive, and and they weren't allowed to fly in the major airport. And and American Airlines decided they were just going to lower their pricing and push them out of the market and wipe them out. And I think they were charging like thirty dollars for for a business class ticket in this market. American comes in and charges ten, and this is like thirty or forty years ago. If I get the numbers right, they were charging forty, and American was charging twenty. And Southwest is like, we can't charge 20. We'll be out of business in a couple of weeks. But these are mostly business travelers and Herb's kind of crazy. And so they decided that we're going to give and we know they're traveling on a business account. So we're going to give them two options. They can either pay the $20 and, and on these numbers aren't right. Or they can pour in the $40 and we'll give them a handle of Shavas whiskey when they get on the plane, knowing that all these people were expensing it. And so they would take the the whiskey probably, and 80% of the people took the whiskey, which they bought at $5 a bottle. They became the biggest distributor of that whiskey in Texas for like three months and American eventually dropped out of the route, right? There's nothing in business school that would have told you, you know, how to do that. And that's, that's why it's one of my favorite stories ever. Great. You have to send that to me now. So, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but this, but again, I think the thing that for me ties all these stories together and I haven't heard the Peloton one that you mentioned earlier exactly, but I would imagine that it's the same thing. You reach this point where it's like, oh my God, we're not going to make it right. Whose parents are we going to live with sort of thing. Um, and, um, envisioning the future though, is the thing that came through consistently with Elon Musk's biography, with Phil Knight's biography, and it's consistent with many entrepreneurs that I've that I've uh, interviewed over the last five years. Isn't isn't is that if they they are just ruthless around the focus on that vision? Yeah, um, they, they believe in that so deeply that they're willing. You know, he so believe that you know 
classes were going to become interactive and biking that they're willing to go through through with it and, and and fight through that. Yeah, I mean, that's a leader has to present a vision that's compelling and rally people around it. I mean, that is the core that is the core function of 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 a leader. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think you you need to be spending your time. I spend a lot of my mental time in the future and and laying out plans and ideas and then you know sharing them and one of the things that we did as a company is we laid out a vivid vision uh, ah. in, in 2016 like we wrote it's january 2020 here's what our company looks like we've tripled we've gone to these companies and we did all of that because for three years we shared that with everyone and we said this is what the company is going to look like fantastic and now does it look like that it yeah we just did version 2.0 really uh, because And it was hard to do 2.0 because I was like, I said some pretty crazy stuff last time and we did it. Like, I don't, I don't know how much more to, more to take this. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, we did every, so we won these five best places to work awards. We wrote a book, we got tripled the business mm. and got our business launched in, in, in five countries. And we were just pretty resolute with everyone. This is what it's going to look like on January 1st, 2020. Fantastic. We didn't know what the rest of 2020 was going to look like. But, no, right. Yeah, but yeah. thank God you didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but that's interesting because we've just we literally did the vivid vision exercise ourselves. Um, ours is vivid vision 2024, uh, yeah. and because it's funny for me, like the business reaches a certain stage where where like I went to Durban. I mentioned right up front in the show. I went to Durban literally for a month and didn't do anything. Surfed, child. Spent time with the kids, did anything and everything but run the business. We had our yeah. second best month of the year. And it's interesting for me because I've, I'm almost confused around what my role should be now as CEO. Because we've envisioned the future, but now yeah. the business almost runs itself. For me, it's like the true definition of success where you're no longer a slave to the business. Um, so, so for yeah. now, for me, it's all about, and I love the word that you mentioned earlier, capacity building capacity yeah. within people. Um, and I'd love to ask you, um, what have you learned about capacity building in high performance businesses like your own? Yeah, I mean, well, a couple of things. First, what you said, I don't think most founders and entrepreneurs want to be CEOs. In fact, you know, the title is even confusing. I think some are president. CEO is chief executive officer. So manager of the executive team, which is not what a lot of people want to do. I, I really think the the traction entrepreneurial operating system is a lot of where the, the founder is really the visionary. And then there's an operator, you know, who handles kind of saying no to 90% of those things and, and making it better. The story you told is pretty consistent of entrepreneurs going on sabbatical or otherwise, and their, and their companies being like, yeah, yeah, stay there. Like it's, it's, you know, you're brilliant at the two or three things a year. And then you drive us nuts, you know, the, the, the rest of the year. So Capacity building is just the common thread that I saw. As we built our business, we always used to say we built, we invest in people holistically. Like, how do we make the person better? And then the business is the benefit of that, you know, in our business. And then they get better outside of work because, again, I don't, I, you don't see someone who is good at prioritization outside of work and not good at it in work or exhausted, you know, at work and energy outside of work. Like, people tend to be the same. And, and the process just sort of, you know, became clear to us around, we were always working on this holistically, but, but I, eventually as I started writing about it and thinking about it, this formula of, you know, capacity of the building is the process by which we get better. And there are four elements, spiritual capacity, uh, uh, intellectual, physical, and emotional. So spiritual is, 
what am I want? What do I want? Where am I going? What are my values? Intellectuals, how do I get better? Learn, plan, execute with dis- discipline. It's kind of my personal operating system. Mm-hmm. Physical is, you know, my, you know, physical, mental health, resilience, kind of like, you know, how do I keep my, my, my machinery in line with what I'm going for? And then emotional is my relationships and how I relate to other people and the things outside of me that I don't control. And those four things are like a intertwined, you know, four quadrants of a ball that like, if they are being filled consistently, get bigger, more mass, a lot of momentum. If one of those gets totally out of whack, you get a really bouncy ball. And, and, and like one example is physical capacity, right? So if, if you start getting really tired, you know, stressed, all this stuff, well, now you lose sight of your goals and what you want most, right? You get kind of narrow thinking, you're not, you know, you lose your ability, your ex, you know, your discipline and your learning, you kind of fall off with that. You get short with other people and you start burning your relationships. So these things really work hand in hand. And everyone that I've seen is a super high performer is focused on these things and constantly improving in those areas and, and performing at a high level. You, you walk into a room and you say to people, can you articulate your core values to me? 95% of people say no, one or two will have an idea. And two people will say to me, here are my values and here's my core purpose in life. I promise you those people are doing pretty amazing stuff because that level of clarity has them locked in on what they're trying to do, the type of people they need to be around, why they, why their you know, physical performance is important because they believe that they are put here to accomplish that, that goal. Mm, that's so interesting. It's so interesting. Have you read a book um, uh, by Vishen Lakiani? I think I pronounced his surname correctly, called The Buddha and the Badass? I've, have, it, I've uh, seen that book around. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like I may have seen passages of it. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you never know, right? Um, so, yeah. But he was talking about the idea of the, the, the nature of work itself is changing. Whereas the old paradigm was kind of like, you know, you go to work to earn a salary and from a leadership perspective, a CEO perspective, it was about profit, you know, yeah. growing and make, just making cash and everybody works for you, etc. And And he made the point, which is quite interesting because I love this capacity buildings, almost pillars or four uh, sort of legs of the table, if you like, spiritual, physical, intellectual, and emotional, uh, in the sense of the role of, the, of a CEO founder now has all in terms of, and I'm talking specifically about the context of um, capacity building within people has also yeah. started to change. I mean, you know, if you go, if you went back to Phil Knight's days, you know, the 1970s and you spoke to him about, you know, the four pillars of the table, <laughs> as you described them, he'd be like, we just drink whiskey. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it was, the, al- it was also command and control. Right? Totally. I mean, yeah. The, the job force wasn't liquid. The job force is liquid is, has sorry, is liquidity today, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like your style. I go drive for Uber and deliver packages and do all this stuff. Like, like, you know, you, it's really hard to get, you don't, people don't need a job these days if, and, and, and they were willing to deal with a lot, you know, just to collect their paycheck. Exactly. But going back to this point now, I think the expectations of, of leaders has shifted fundamentally. Um, and I'd love to get your views. I mean, we spoke before we went live around, you know, C19 and how, you know, da, 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 we gave a, terminated our lease and how just everything's in flux. And it's almost like, and you mentioned 
there was a, a client of yours or an associate of yours or a friend of yours, whoever, who adopted five years of digital sort of transformation in two weeks because he had to. And it's because of this had to stick that people are being driven down this transformational path, not just in terms of digital transformation, but in people transformation as well, because now it's all around attracting the best people and when you've got narratives like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, etc., if you stick with Musk for a, sec- uh, a second, yeah. you know we're gonna—he's gonna make you know, like humans a multiplanetary species. And so it's almost like the bigger the vision, the harder it gets, the more it attracts the right people. Uh, but once they get there, you have to grow them to a place where they can execute on that vision in a in a fashion that is you know congruent with the vision itself and blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to kind of ask you, and how have you seen the nature of work change? Yeah, I just, this command and control playbook of leadership that came from the military doesn't work anymore. It probably hasn't worked for 10 or 15 years and the military is not even using it. But the amount of companies who have not adopted to it are, and, and maybe they're not adopting because they see the leaders kind of like doubling down on it. Um, but but I, I, I just don't think companies are going to survive running this old paradigm of command and control leadership. It's not what people want. They have more options. They have more flexibility. They can, they can jump on Zoom and take a job anywhere in the world. So, you know, if I'm going to work for a company, it's got to believe because I believe in their leaders. I believe in their values. I believe in the vision. It's something that mm-hmm. I want to do. I, you know, again, I, as I said before, that the, there's so many different ways to make a, make a paycheck that no one needs to just sit in that organization. And, and, and yeah, I think leaders are going to be, have to figure out how to be a lot more pull, you know, lead from the bottom, lead from underneath and, and, and quietly, you know, there's some quote out there, I'm going to get this wrong, but it says like the best thing of a leader is like, you know, that they're sort of behind the scenes and no one knows that they've kind of done the work or pulled it all together. You know, that, that's what you see more. I mean, for every Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, you see more of that, you know, behind companies like Airbnb or other eyes, just more, you know, quiet servant leaders who are, you know, see themselves as, as, as the sort of visionary and their job is to coach and build up other leaders in our organization. Yeah. Tell me, um, in your in your book, you Elevate, you write about, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that can unlock capacity within a team. And we also touched on it uh, previously around um, uh, around visionaries, right? And having, you know, founders are not necessarily the same as CEOs, etc. And I think one of the things that I'd love to unpack with you is this idea of why, like finding your why. Like, how do we yeah. do that now? It's like, you know, you mentioned about, you know when you meet someone and they go, these are my values, this is what lights me up, here's my purpose, and it's like, damn, I wish I had that clarity. So how do we get there? Easier. So by the time this comes out, uh, and I'm not being self-promotional because I get asked this the most, I will have my first course on discovering your core values out, and you can find it at robertglazer.com. I've been, it's the thing I get asked most from Elevate, and it's just not an easy answer. Like, okay, I get it. I want to understand my core values. How do I do it? And it's an hour course. It's not an hour process. It might be a six-month process, but I'll give you the framework to start that work. And I think that for most people, figure out your values first. And then when you have your values, think about those as the pillars. And then your core value or the why is either the strongest one of those pillars or it's kind of the roof over that. So for me, actually, and for most people, for a company, it figures out your value and purpose first, because that's why it started. Like, I want to disrupt travel or eradicate cancer. That's why I started the business. And then we collectively figure out our core values as a team. With a person, I think it's backwards. Like, if you lay out all your values, 
you could probably then say, what is the core overarching purpose that serves all of these values that I would be happy about? And then I, so I, I did the values first. And then for me, I, through some iteration, I came to my core purpose and why I'm literally on this with you today is to share ideas that help people and organizations grow. That's why I do these podcasts. That's why I write Friday Four. That's why I write these books. That's why I'm constantly, you know, bringing best practices, encouraging our leaders to get better. Like that is what fulfills me. And it, and it very logically ties to one or more of my core values. So for most people, I'd say start with your values. Simon Sinek got us all focused on why and he was right. I think it's just a really hard process. And I think leaving everyone to figure out their own why, it, it's not, I you know, left this hanging on the second part because it's not an easy thing to just pluck your existential purpose out of thin air. What is the, because uh, I like to play devil's advocate with that because it's like, oh God, I must find my why, you know, oh, geez, I need to find my values now. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God, organizational values, you know what I mean? Or mission and like, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, and it's I, like, I used to think all that stuff was bullshit. I, yeah. I, I honestly, I was the biggest skeptic of, uh, of uh, core values in an organization because I'd see this crap all over the walls, you know, when I walked into companies and it was not, those really weren't how people acted and behaved. Real core values are how people act and behave. Everyone has personal core values. They just don't know what they are. So, so my analogy is you're driving through a tunnel in a nice car. It's dark. You're hitting the side of the wall. That's how we know. Like you, I could probably walk through some stories and I can tell you when you hit cross one of your core values because it feels bad. So you slam the car on the side of the wall, it scratches up or whatever, you pull it off, you slide to the other lane, you do it again, you get out of the tunnel and your car looks like crap and it's all beat up. If you if you can articulate your core values, if you can say my core values are to find a better way, you know, self-reliance, health and vitality, you know, and go through them. And it is like turning on the lights in the tunnel and painting the lines and saying, stay away from these walls. These are these are the things, this is the thing you don't want to crash into. So core, it, I tell you, everyone has their core values. If I, if you interview them, or you figure it out, or you talk to your parents, you'd see these patterns of behavior. They just can't put the words around them. They haven't done the work to articulate them, to have it on their desk and look at this job offer and say, I should not take this job. This company and this leader does not align with the things that I believe in, in most. And so what happens is they go there and then they feel bad. Or they take the right job and they feel great and they're in flow, but they just don't know why they did that. It's a lot of experimentation from from sort of you know success and failure. It's very interesting, right? Because it's kind of like the work you don't want to do because it's almost one, it's subjective, two, it's almost intangible. And three, to the first point we made right in the beginning of the show, we want instant gratification. We're not prepared to wait for not, it. Right? Yes, so not listen, if you try and sell and me- you're out of excuses, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Robert, if yeah. you try and sell me a one-hour course and tell me it's going to take six months of work, I'm not interested. Then right. most people wouldn't be interested. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't have time to work for six months on something I yeah. can't hold. <laughs> Maybe I need to change drive. the line. I, 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 you're going to get some. You will see some dramatic improvement, but but you know it won't. It won't. It won't. You won't fully get it right because part of the value thing, as I say, you come up with an initial set and you take them on the road and you test drive them, and then you come to a thing. You're like, oh, you know what? It's just a little off. I think I, I you know, the the core issue for me is X, not not Y. Um, so it does take some road testing before you feel like 
you know, they're, they're, they're good, but yeah. And you know what? That's why 95% of people won't do it. And Mm -hmm. that's why that person at the party. So one of my favorite stories in the story of Friday Ford was I was at a dinner and someone had hired a sketch artist and they were like, you know, that brilliant thing where they, I don't know how they like figured out the use of space, but like the whole conversation was captured in a, uh, you know, a picture in order. And I was like, and I went up to her, I said, so like, what's your training? How do you learn how to do this? And she looked at me and she said, deadpan. She goes, my purpose is to help people be seen and heard. Hmm. And I said, let me ask you something. I've, I've had these conversations enough. You don't have to answer this because I have a, I have a core belief that purpose and pain go hand in hand for most people. <clears throat> it gets very quickly into our childhood and things that we're, and I said, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but like, that's a very specific purpose. Like, does that come somewhere from pain or childhood or whatever you, and she looked at me and she says, I, I stuttered until I f- was 15 and I really struggled to communicate with other people. Right. So, mm. so here's someone who knows their purpose has made the connection that like they were not heard as a child. And like what is going to fulfill them in their lifetime is making sure that people are uh, other people are heard and seen. So interesting, right? If it all comes, or well, I would say not always, it comes a from lot your, of it. but I mean, like, you <laughs> know, it goes, it goes back to like when you were six. <laughs> so, it goes back to formative experiences in your life because crazy. those are shape us. A lot of those were young. When we did this core value thing with a group of our employees, um, uh, you know, a couple months ago, one of them had a complete epiphany and, and, and said, look, my, my, one of my core values is self-awareness. And I have that because I had a parent who was completely unself-aware as a kid. They were the loudest person in the room. They had one drink too many. They were always off. And it just, it just embarrassed me my whole childhood. And so that became a core value for me. And what I am seeing now is that when I see little signs of lack of self-awareness in my team, I lash out at them and I bring that to them. And that person figured that out, went back to their team. And this is what we encourage all of our leaders to do. And, and, and basically like said, look, here's who I am. Here's what's important to me. Here are my, you know, here are my kind of trigger points and had an honest discussion with their team and really improved the relationship with their team by saying, this is just, this is deep within me. <laughs> like it's not, it's not going to change. So I need you to know this and I need you to know it's really important to me. Yeah. Like I have a very big problem with authority. <laughs> This is why I can never be managed. <laughs> so, no, but I'll tell you another one that 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 is I comes up a lot. And and look, I've done a lot of this work with people, and it you know I almost feel like I'm an unlicensed psychologist. And I say to people, look, I'm not. We can talk about this. I promise you, if you get into this, we'll be talking about your childhood. I'm not trying to fix that. I'm just trying to understand where it came from. But you know, a big core value for people or a why or whatever is trust. Like you know, people who relationships build on trust. And those people tend to have a deep violation of trust. In fact, anytime this trust thing comes up, and I learned this from a facilitator, and you say to them, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but did you have a core violation of trust at some point in your life or childhood? You will instantly see them almost cry. Like you will, like you don't have to answer the question. You can see the answer sort of on their face. And and those people as leaders, and, and this is again, there's a lot of communication. When their employees are kind of say, I'm going to be there in five minutes and they're not, or they're late for meeting, or they can't find them for an hour, those are like deep violations of trust. But what those leaders have to do is they have to go to their teams and they have to say, trust is really important to me. Like it's core to me. And I need you to know that. So I need you to be honest with me. I will always be here for you. I will be, you know, whatever. 
But like, if you kind of tell, even tell me a white lie, you're kind of going to be dead to me. Like, and, and, and that like, rather than the person not knowing that, frankly, it's better that they know that. So they know how to manage their boss or their leader. Mm. I also would say that or predict that there's a kind of an unquantifiable, unpredicted benefit of this whole exercise is that it creates social connections in the workplace. And I think, yeah, yeah, go ahead. All of the, all of these um, personalities, like I'm a big believer in all these tech, like disc and all this stuff, but I don't think it's about like, Matt, what's your personality? And this is who you are and it's all you are. But from a, communication standpoint these things are all super accurate for where people are butting heads based on styles and where Mm. they're having communication problems and so understanding that if you're ever really struggling with someone and you pulled out their disc and their colby and their white like you could probably look at that and be like oh this is why we're just you know really like i'm a detailed person they're a vision person like i gotta figure out how we close this gap you know they think i'm full of shit and i think you know they're a tightwad like you know it's just (laughs) anytime you've had some of these facilitators around these personality things we had one he would ask these questions and 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 he'd say if you believe x go stand in this corner of the room and it was just the same groups of person i mean just they just answered questions diametrically opposite it was Uh fascinating well, the other thing, I use the analogy of, uh, of a bus with my team. So like we had to restructure a lot of the company because yeah. we, we've doubled our revenues again this year. So super proud of that. But anyway, um, and so I use the analogy of a bus and putting people in the right bus seats. And there's this one, yeah. one lady that's been working with me from the very beginning. And I've probably given her about six different roles uh, over yeah. the last, and in a very short period of time. And it was bump, 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 bump to where she's now head of RevOps because she's like, super analytical you know what i'm saying um and so it is all around recognizing the values of people i would say and then to your point around what lights them up what are they naturally attributed to be successful at um but i want to almost go back a step and say we'll ask you around this idea of social connections i mean how do we create an environment as leaders now? I mean, your business is much, much bigger than mine, so I'm fascinated to know what you've done. Uh, but um, how do you create an environment where that, it, that almost organically uh, facilitates very strong bonds between teams? Because there's another thought I have quickly, which I'll just sort yeah. of throw into the, into the ring, which is that people don't leave businesses they leave people people. yeah um so what like let's unpack that whole space because i'm very interested in that it's one of my key focuses for next year i mean the number one thing is vulnerability i I mean vulnerability breeds connection so i I can share a story about this from sort of the early days of covid you know i i'm leading the company through the first 30 days of covid you know every day a client is calling asking to pause or change terms or telling us they're not going to pay for you know six months and you know working 16 hours a day and absolutely exhausted you know at at one point i think five or six weeks in i was writing a note i just i I just crashed i like curled up went to bed slept for 24 hours i had just you know done it too much Mm. i shared that story with a team and i said look i just hit my breaking point and and because i shared that story with a team you know someone else on the team shared a similar story to their team about how they were sort of burning at both ends and their person on their team wrote them a note saying, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I just thought you had all your stuff together and I was holding myself to this, like, you know, unrealistic expectation that you're just, how is this person have it all together and hearing that you don't have it all together. So it was like this sort of chain of everyone 
you know, realizing that. And, and yeah, I just think most of this stuff starts with vulnerability and connection. And we don't, you know, some of us are afraid to be seen for who we really are or show a chink in the armor, but that's the stuff that makes us real. And that's the stuff that creates the connection. And that's the stuff that says like, you know, I, I want to work with this person. I respect this person. So, mm. but it's, you know, but it's what I, Jesus, it's just the thing I have to say, but it's almost like you have to, as a leader and almost in general now, is get out of this kind of emotional comfort zone because you know if yeah. you think and especially and it's to your point like we're so socially conditioned it's like well no if you're a c don't like steve jobs well that's or, the command and control dude, that's the that's is that the, what that is you're, you're I mean, I, I think it's just but that era. Like, think about your grandfather. Like, you don't talk about your feelings at work. Like, work is your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we're we're moving towards a thing where it's about the whole person at work. It's about Matt, you know, Matt, the brilliant visionary, but sometimes depressed, you know, person. Like, I, it, it, it's not hiding, you know, that. Sometimes it, it, plays, that, plays with guns. Right. <laughs> I... I, I Look, I think there's this thing of the whole person comes to work. And when you think about, you know, some of the racial stuff that's gone on and some of the discussions that people have had in the work environment and stuff, those could have happened 20 years ago because people would have said that's not a work issue. Mm. But, you know, you have people saying, like, this is a life issue. Like, I'm scared every day. And that impacts who I am and how I show up and all that stuff. And and so I think those those firewalls are coming down and and get people who are willing to have those conversations and be open and honest. Uh, yes. Uh, to your point around psychologists, I think, um, you know, I think what we're also saying, if I were to paraphrase, it's almost like you have to come to terms with yourself, truly yeah. come to terms with yourself. And I think it's so easy just to sweep it all under the carpet and deal with it later. I don't need to deal with it now. I get, yeah, or you're I, hiding, you know, work is kind of like Facebook, right? Where you're like, everyone's seeing the top 5% and you're just hiding all this other stuff. Like it all it's all one package, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I w wouldn't it be amazing if all of our uh, social media timelines were true? Like if you go to LinkedIn, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like success, award, success, this thing, that thing. It's like, it, and it's, I actually, I'm like not on social media anymore. Like at, my team runs it and what have you. I, don't I use it to communicate stuff, but I don't, I don't read it. Uh, dude, do your email thing. That's great because then it comes directly to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to uh, your broadcasting as opposed to consuming. You know what I mean? You're producing yeah. as opposed to consuming, which I think is, is a very big thing because I think if you, are, if you lean too far on the consumption scale, you completely over-index and it's very hard to actually find a true sense of self, which is really what yeah. we're talking about here, right? Which is to say, I'm going to stand up in front of my 40 staff today and I'm going to cry. Yeah. Or at least I'm going to have the courage to let them know that I'm weak today. You know? Right. What look, one of the tactics that we use as a client service business is not a tactic, but just getting, you know, we 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 have everyone on our client service team get in the habit of saying like get on the phone and be like, "Matt, how are you today? How's it going?" Right? Because rather than jumping into business because you might be like, "You know what? Thanks for asking. It sucks. My dog died yesterday." Like, and suddenly I know why you're upset and not paying attention all day and it has nothing to do with the marketing results. So mm -hmm. even that context, we're encouraging people to connect as human beings, you know, and build that relationship before you jump into the transactional stuff. Yeah. One of the things we do is a, in our vision, we started doing it, but we, we do a daily appreciation. So before you have a meeting, before you phone a client, whatever, you just send a mail, I'll send a mail to you and go, hey, Robert, you were amazing yesterday. 
thank you for your help, whatever the case is. It's just to create those social connections in terms of like a daily principle or habit or routine. Um, and I wanted to kind of ask you, um, what other routines outside of, you know, workshop, forums, values, elicit something simple that, you know, as in the case in point, sending an email to a colleague or whatever, a note yeah. on WhatsApp or whatever. Um, what other, in what other ways can, you know, we create better environments for work and social connections as a product? I think expressing gratitude, right? I think if you sat down every five minutes, you know, for five minutes a day and said, who do I have to thank or send a note to or whatever, like people really appreciate that stuff. When I have the time, and we have a little system where you can put cheers in every week in one of our things. And I do that for some employee, like they're, they're, they're overly appreciative of it. Like it really means a lot to them. So I just, I think if you look, if you carved out for the week, five minutes of gratitude to send notes, letters, chat, you know, something to people, you'd see a huge difference in a ripple effect uh, that that would have. Mm. Um, Robert, I'd like to uh, talk to you about this idea of potential because, uh, you know, if you, if you tackle it more broadly, there's an organizing principle about, well, you know, we all have the same amount of potential. We just need to remind ourselves that we do. And so, if you, and also there's another book, I think it was in, um, I can't remember exactly where I heard this, but there was the, the analogy is of potential is that you're holding onto a balloon of potential. And yeah. when you are suffering, with something you're under duress or you've got a challenge on your plate, you're really battling with that balloon starts to slip. And so some people will let that balloon go earlier and some will hold on to that for a significant, uh, you know, significantly longer amount of time. Um, what is the relationship or what have you uncovered around activating one's highest potential when one is actually suffering? Yeah, I think, I think potential has sort of an expiration date. You know, I think sometimes it, it helps us and sometimes it hurts us. Like, like I have no potential as a, no matter how much I worked, I would have no potential as a, you know, professional soccer player. Like I just don't have the football player. I don't have the, you know, the skills. And, and so I think, I think in those moments we have to really think about, is it something that that we're good at and that we want, or some of these things we have to let go. I think we have these false, if, 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 if your mother put a lot of pressure on you to be a doctor and tell you to be a doctor, but it's not what you want, right? That's where this thing can always feel like it's far away, but I don't want it. So I, I think that's a really important inflection point for people to figure out, um, again, what, what's the potential they want to convert on and what's the potential where they just have to let go. But it's got an expiration date. You can't have potential as an entrepreneur for 20 years or you're just not an entrepreneur. Like you're something else. And, and, and so I think we struggle to commit to the things that are important and to move on from the ones that are not as important. But it's this, it's but again it's this idea. I'm always fascinated with what is what is my actual potential. What is yours? Yeah. How are you supposed to measure that? There's a line I kept hearing this week, like be what be what we must be or be what you were meant to be. Um, you know, I I I I, I like that. This is where I like the word capacity better than potential. Like, are are you are you using all the capacity that you have, or are you leaving? it on the table, right? Mm. I, I think that is more of an internal thing than an external thing. Potential is a bar that other people are setting for you. It may be things that they want. It may be not you. I, I think that people really step up when they say, I, and this was true for me, I am living below what I know and believe is my capacity and what I can do and what I believe I am meant to do and mm. should do. That has nothing to do about what anyone else believes, right? 
Hmm. Hey, Robert, you should write a book about that. (laughs) (laughs) Potential is a very loaded thing. Like your parents want you to be a doctor and a lawyer and you want to be an entrepreneur or you want, you know, they think you should do X and the society puts certain pressure on you. That that's the wrong type, but that's other people putting their own wants and regrets and fears and stuff onto you. Mm. I, I, I think that the, 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 the real changing moment for most people is, is not, I'm not enough for this person or I'm not enough for side. Maybe like, I know that I am using half of my horsepower and that's on me and I don't want to do that anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Because you know that other quotes, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. So going back to the podcast thing, it's very easy to, for, for us as an example, I don't know what your listenership is like, but let's take Joe Rogan as an example. It would be a fool's errand for us to compare our podcast to Joe Rogan, yeah. right? Yet it's natural yeah. to do that. It's like we're almost hardwired to latch onto that narrative, right? Yeah. It's like, well, why don't I have a, like a million downloads every every second? <laughs> You know, because um, you don't want to or aren't willing to do the things that Joe's willing to do to do that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he lives a different lifestyle and otherwise, and it is, you know, that that's not that may or may not be the impact that you want for your podcast. Yeah, I'm fascinated about the underlying dynamics behind something like that, though, or just you know, Uber's success, and I use success in like inverted commas, like you know, it's like the vanity metrics, well, it's downloads, views followers or whatever the case is because if you actually then say okay fine that's one level of measurement but let's talk about talent you know or or knowledge um or executional capacity or um or you know a model of the world that you hold that's unique to you through your experiences like it's it's so fascinating for me to figure out why we measure ourselves in terms of potential against something that's a true anomaly by virtue of the system that it lives in, the digital economy, um, versus say something that is a talent that you that you own, you own, you're the one that's in control of that talent right. fully. Nobody else, right? Right. Like I know I'm. You know, it's a difference for me to say like I'm. I'm not saying this, but let's say I. I, I believe or I know I'm a great writer, but I'm just not making time to write. Therefore, I am. I know that I am not fulfilling the potential that I could through writing. That is very different than looking around at other what other people are doing and, and measuring myself against other people's definition of, of success. There's a lot of people out there for whom they've been told, get a good job, do this, make some money, and, and, and you'll be successful. And what they really long for is to be in a cabin somewhere writing or in quiet or, you know, it doesn't actually fulfill them. Mm. Um, well, in just- fact, you know, I, I, I was at an event last night. Uh, through YPO organization with a lot of people who had sold their businesses and they were talking about exiting and they just, you know, I, I've heard this a lot. Like mm. they thought that the money in the bank, all the stuff, it was going to, it lasted like 30 seconds. And, 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 and then they were like, what do I do now? I, I had this goal for so long. I mean, it, you thought it was like this pinnacle that they were going to get to. And it was, it was not almost universally across the board. Yeah. Um, have you heard of Bo Burlingham before? Is the, yeah, know, I, I've read his book, uh, how to, Finish Big or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that's it, How Great Entrepreneurs Exit the Case. Yeah. So he he was on the show, not in fact, six, five episodes ago. And we spoke about this whole idea of, um, of you know, when entrepreneurs exit. So there's another quote. I've got so many quotes from the show. But it's like, success without fulfillment is failure equals failure. 
Um, yeah. And it's kind of like knowing, you know, what will fulfill you at the end of the day. Because if you do sell, what are you going to do? Right. The, the, the reason, the best thing I've ever sort of come across in talking to people from an exit matrix is like a two by two, which is, do, do, do you like your job and do you know what you want to do next? If you don't like what you're doing and you really know that it's getting in the way of what you want to do, that's a great way to do it. If you love what you're doing, you don't want to do next. Those those seem to be the ones where people have a lot of a lot of regret. Huh. What have you? What do you regret? What do I regret? Well, my my whole purpose is driven out of my regret, which is that that being an underachiever for a long portion of my life because I didn't have a lot of the stuff figured out, and people were telling me that the stuff that I should be doing and following the colored lines and stuff was what I should be doing when you know, what I'm really good at is none of that stuff. And, and in fact, I say the things that I do now well are the things I was probably chastised for then. And I think that caused me to not understand how I could be the best version of myself and underachieve. And, and I, and I have a lot of, I have a lot of feeling of a lot, a lot of lost time that I've been trying to make up for around that. Um, Robert, if you could get into a time machine and go back to yourself when you were, um, you know, 18 and give yourself one piece of advice about life, what would that be? Wouldn't we find your passion? Um, <laughs> yeah, at 18 or, or after college, I would say to people, go get the best experience and work with the best people that you can. Like, you know, you will not be paid enough in your 20s. Like, go, go where you will get the most learning um, because I, I think those are the experiences that really contribute to your success later on. No one in their 20s should take one job over another for $1,000 or $2,000. They mm-hmm. should say, this company has an incredible leader, an incredible training program. It has more, you know, th- th- that is going to make the biggest difference for them eventually. Just on purpose, do you find it or do you create it? Um, I don't think you find it. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people about this. I think finding your purpose, it, it, it makes people believe that it's just this box that they open and get it right one yeah. day. So Cockies. I think you, yeah, I think you develop it, you discover it, you hone it. Um, a lot of people, their purpose will be in not what they do, but how they do it. So, right. So that stops you from having to find the perfect job versus figuring out in a job how you serve that purpose. Like I, I think if you're just looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that's really going to, uh, you know, cause you to struggle. Mm. Yeah. When I was in my twenties, I wanted to be a billionaire. When I was in my thirties, yeah. I realized I'd never be one. And when I was 40, I just stopped giving a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Robert, uh, where do we get this Friday forward uh, mail of yours? How do we get it? Sure, yeah. Everything is at robertglazergla.com or you can Google Friday Forward. There you can find the podcast, my book, sign up for Friday Forward and uh, all that good stuff. Cool. I'm doing that now. Robert Glazer, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook.